All right, let's, uh, let's turn our attention to the word of God. Let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, you know, without you in this next half an hour, Father, these, these are vain and repetitious words. But Father, with you there is power. Connecting these words with the Holy Spirit that you have placed within our heart, Father, there is truth and there is a life-changing ability. And so, God, I, I ask you, Father, to take this message. What you have led me over the last week, Lord, to prepare, I, I pray, Father, I give it back to you now for your honor and glory. In thy name we pray. Amen. Well, over the past um, 30 years or so, there has been a cancer that is poisoning Christianity. And, and it's this idea that church isn't all that important to being a Christian. You know, kind of a, I can take it or leave it, or, you know, kind of sometimes go, sometimes not, or not, not even be there. You know, there's this, this attitude that it's, oh, it's just Jesus and me. You know, Jesus and me together. And, and I think maybe it started back in the 80s. Um, you know, they had all of those scandals with the big name televangelists. Uh, Satan saw an opening, and he used it to disillusion many people that were going to church. Mature Christians remained faithful, but many used men's moral failings as an excuse to bolt. And I'm sure you've heard this statement. How many people say, well, we're not leaving Jesus, but we're leaving the church. You know, we're, we're, we're not leaving Jesus. We still believe in Jesus, but, but we just don't need the church. And then as a result of that, to attract people back to churches, uh, the ministries, the churches began to dilute the power of their message, kind of to make it less intrusive, so people would start coming back, and you know, kind of bent over backwards to make church easy, less impact in a person's life, and lo and behold, people responded, which brought more and more churches to kind of buy into that philosophy because. Either do that or you see your, your numbers dwindle, you know, if you don't kind of go along with the wave. And as a result of that, today, there really is a misunderstanding of what church is supposed to be and where it plays in our faith and God, what God wants us to do with church. I mean, sometimes... You know, I, I feel people's perception of what church is, it's like that, you know, the mother, mother trying to get their little toddler to take medicine that's really good for them, that's really going to help them, and it's going to help heal them, and the to toddler's running away, and mm, they don't want to take it, you know, and the mother's trying to force them, and it's important that you get this medicine. Sometimes I feel that's what the, the, the church is like. We're, we're kind of pursuing out there, and, and people are, you know, see their places kind of, you know, resisting, but eventually kind of they give in because, you know, they, they know they need it. They know it's important. And, and it's unfortunate that that's kind of got what the perception is. As a Christian, what is my attitude towards church? What is it to be? What does it mean to be part of the family of God? Now, I'm going to be taking you uh, to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning if you'll turn there in your Bibles, and I'm going to have you standing in just a moment here, but um, 
go ahead and find it. And as soon as you find it, go ahead and stand with me if you would. Uh, before I read this passage, <coughs> you'll notice right away that this passage is usually used at weddings. Okay, it's usually used at weddings. Uh, it teaches us how a husband and a wife are supposed to be together and towards one another. And it teaches us by telling us to observe another relationship. And that relationship, it tells us to observe husbands and wives. You want to learn how to have a, a good relationship, you need to look at the relationship that Christ has with the church. And so as I read these, I, I understand because we're, we're so focused on the husband and wife part of it. Um, if you can, don't listen to this in the context of husbands and wives. I want you to listen to it in the context of what the church means to Jesus Christ. What is Christ's attitude towards the church? I'm going to start in verse 22, and we'll go down, I think, to, to verse uh, 30, 31 or so. so. It says, wives, verse 22, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reverence, with reference to Christ and the church. You be seated. <coughs> I hope you could catch those statements, powerful statements about Christ and his attitude towards the church. In verse 23, he, he talks about that he is the savior of the body, the body, the church. Verse 25, it tells us that he loves the church to the point of giving himself up for it, to die to redeem the church. I mean, there's an attitude, an attitude of love that led to an action he came and he got us. He loved the church. He, he died for the church. Verse 27, his desire to, to have the church in, in full glory, to come to its fullest to him. Verse 29, it says he cherishes the church. It's the Greek word thalpo, and it means to brood or to foster over. It's kind of the idea of a hen, a mother hen with all of its little chicks. And, you know, and she's you know, just brooding over, just worrying about him, every aspect, you know, and, and just care and concern to protect the chickens. This is how God feels about the church. This is how God feels about us. 
This is how God feels about you, about me. In Matthew chapter 16, when Christ asked his disciples, you remember he, he pulls his disciples and says, who do men say that I am? You know, they kind of say, well, some Elijah, some John the Baptist. And, and then he changes the question to them. He says, who do you say that I am? Remember what Peter said? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. So he makes this tremendous proclamation, this tremendous truth. Then it says in Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I also say to you that you are Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. When Christ said that, upon this rock, you are Peter, upon this rock, he wasn't meaning I'm going to build my church upon Peter. He wasn't the rock. The rock that he's referring to was that great declaration that Peter made that says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. You are the Son of God. And he says, upon that, that truth, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Christ then goes on in verse 19, and don't miss this. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the church here. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are given to the church, the very the very means that God is going to use to, to reach the world. You know, he will build his church. The gates of Hades will not overpower. The keys to the kingdom he has given to his church to do his work and to do his ministry. The direct manifestation of the kingdom God has chosen to reveal and to work through the church. Now, what does the church mean? Well, the, the church means the physical gathering of believers. It's not necessarily a building, but he's talking about believers coming together. And so, in our sense, we are a church because we are believers who come together. And all of the ministries like ABF and our Bible studies and you know, prayer meetings, the children's ministries, all these things, all these ministries, God is going to use them to, to build his kingdom. And then as we as the church... If, if, as we are salted out in our communities, we build the kingdom. We bring people and we tell them about Christ and they get saved and they become part of the church and become part of the family. Christ is the one who ties the church, who ties us to his kingdom. This is what Christ had never changed this proclamation that through the church that he would give the kings of the kingdom of heaven and Hell would not prevail against it. The church, it never changed. He never had a plan B in this dispensation, in this age of grace. It has always been working through the gathering of his people together. Now, if, if, if Christians, if we're supposed to have an attitude towards Christ's kingdom of that, boy, it's my greatest possession, you know, that... That, that, that heaven and everything about Christ and that relationship, if we're supposed to have that kind of an attitude, and if Christ is, is doing the work of his kingdom through the church, what does that tell us that our attitude should be towards the church or towards his body? 
towards his bride. Folks, I'm not sure you can really truly love Jesus without similarly loving the church. I don't think you can love Jesus, at least not to the fullest, without loving the church. Loving God, loving the things of God. I mean, think about it like this. What if somebody, you know, came up to me and said, man, Pastor Lloyd, I'd really like to get to know you. I'd really like to start hanging out with you, you know, learning from you, you know. And I thought, well, that, that would be great. I'd love to have a relationship with you. But you say, well, the one problem I have, though, is I don't like your family. You know, I don't, I don't like your wife. She really drives me nuts. And your kids, you know, and, and that dog that you have, how obnoxious is that mutt? And I honestly, I can't stand coming over to your house. I don't like the paint scheme. I don't like, you know, the, the playground set or all of those things. Folks, how would that make me feel? You know, with that kind of an attitude. We are to fall in love with the church, not because the church is perfect or that it does everything the way we want the church to do. But I love this church because it's the extension of God. It's the extension of Christ whom I love and have given my life to. And we're going to put this quote up on the board here. And, 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 and I don't want you to forget this. I love this church not because of what it does, but because of who it does it for. And that is our attitude that we're supposed to have within the church. Not because of what it does, not because necessarily the people that they do the things I want to do or it's like the things that I like. I love this church because what we do here is for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, it, it, and it's for his kingdom. And that love carries me through all the warts, the wrinkles, the disagreement, the problems, the victories, you know, the joys. It's all part and parcel of the church. Well, th- th- this message, if you haven't caught it, it's about, it's about our attitude towards the church. It's our attitude towards God's people. How do you measure attitude? How, how do I know if my attitude is right or doesn't need some work on it, you know, like, and, and, and even to be strengthened. How do I know that? Well, when we talk about our attitude towards God, you know, usually we emphasize things like how important he is, how much we prioritize him. You know, the seek ye first, the kingdom, you know, is, is Christ, is he that precious pearl that we found out in the field and we sold everything that we have just to, to purchase that field so that we can have that pearl. When we talk about attitude towards God and God's people, it's not just about, though, what we do. It's about how we do it. Again, think of this, parents. Have you ever told your child to go clean their room? And when they finally get up after moaning and groaning and sighing and everything like that, when they finally get up to do it, they've got a real bad attitude. They huff and they puff down the hallway, slam the door. You can hear them banging things around inside of there. And finally, in the end, their room is clean. And you go in and you look at it. Folks, doesn't that attitude take away from the action of what they've just done? And if you look at Scripture, you see that God is much more concerned about our attitude than he is about our actions. Probably because he knows you can have actions without having the right attitude. 
I can do something for someone without, you know, even if I'm not in a good state towards them, I can still do those things. You can have the right actions without having the right attitude, but it's hard to have the right attitude without actions following that. You know, the right attitude towards Christ and his ministry and God's people without, you know, it kind of overflowing. I mean, attitude here is the key. Uh, Micah, chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. It says, with what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearly calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my religious acts and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, all these external things, these sacrifices. Is, is that what he wants? These actions? It goes on, he says, he has told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Folks, mostly there, it's talking about our attitude. Our attitude over our He wants our heart, our heart to be in there, our heart to, to, to be passionate towards God and towards his ministry and what he is trying to do in this world today. Now, I want to I give you for the time we have here, I want to give you some examples of wrong attitudes. Okay, and then we're going to end with some positive here. I want to give you some examples of wrong attitudes. Um, and, and remember, we're talking about in the context of our passion and wanting to do things excellent and how we really feel about God. And I mean, I just got some pros, probing questions that will kind of help to get you about these examples. Uh, let, let me ask you this. And I've used this statement before, but... Is church something you go to? Or is church something that you are a part of? Is church something you go to or is church something that you are a part of? See, the problem is if it's something that you go to, then you've, you've separated it from your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we, we, we tend to compartmentalize, you know, my relationship with Christ and then I go to church. You know, and, and, and certainly you can see how attitude would affect this. Again, think about this. I'm, I, am, I am a, my last name is Marvel. I am part of the Marvel family. Because I am part of the Marvel family, I am involved in almost everything that goes on in the Marvel family. I know about it. I care about it. I pray about it. You know, even when I'm not there, I think about my family. You know, Aaron and Jen and the, Poor grandkids, they, you know, they've moved you know, a couple hours away. I still think about them. I reach out to them. I call. I ask them questions. I'm interested in, in every day life that, that, that's going on here. But think about it like this. Let me just, I'm going to pick on the roads here, Bud and Becky here, okay? I'm not physically part of Bud and Becky's family. Spiritually, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But I'm not part of their physical family. I may go and visit pray for them. I may even go and help them on a project. But for the most part, I am not concerned and I'm not involved in the everyday flow of their life. You know, I may wish them the best, but I'm really not involved in it. They don't call me and sit down and they talk about vac their vacation that they're going to go on. And they don't kind of say, hey, you can clear it with me or the dates or anything along those lines. They don't, they don't sit there and talk about me of, hey, should we, what kind of car should we buy? Or or, you know, other day-to-day -day type of decisions that they're involved in. 
You know, and I think a, a mistake many make is this is how we approach church. We think that the church, you know, it, it is supposed to be there. You know, the, the driving force in our life, the driving force in my walk with Christ, we're on the outside affecting what's inside. We're not part of it. That somehow it's the church's responsibility to keep me going in my faith. Um, and, and again, take me right. At one level, that is true. The church is there to encourage. We're there to equip, to train, to teach. You know, so on that level, it is true. But my love for Christ, my relationship with Christ is supposed to cause me to be part of a body of believers. That I want to be part of Christ's body, Christ's bride. A place where I live out my faith and serve and build. And I'm not on the outside, but I'm in everything in the church. Whatever the church is doing, I care about. I may not be directly involved in it, but I know about it. I'm praying for it. You know, when it's time to make decisions, I'm going to make those decisions. Okay, that's the difference between, you know, in my family, it's my family. I consider it my family. I'm involved in everything. You know, Bud and Becky, I may not be involved in every type of decisions. God wants us to be family. He wants us to be part of one another's life. And this attitude towards Christ's family is to be seen in so many ways. I mean, do we have an eagerness to be with the church family? When we miss, is there a zeal to find out what left on, what, what, what happened? I mean, if for whatever reason, if I got sick and I couldn't, you know, go on a little outing with my family, you know, if they were going to go to the zoo or something and they came back, wouldn't I ask them about it? What happened, what they saw, you know, kind of still be part of it? Think about it. And this is going to be convicting to some. Uh, do you regularly arrive late or early? You know, you're eager to be with the family, to visit, to encourage, have people encourage, reach out to you? I mean, are we, are we actively looking for ways to be involved, to serve, to build the kingdom? Honestly, would you be just as happy if nobody asked you to do something? You know, would you be just as happy? Is, is there the sense of ownership? You know, when, when the church rejoices, I rejoice. When the church hurts, I hurt. I mean, do we have that towards one another? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. The, the keys of the kingdom have been placed in the hands of the church, and we're to seek first his kingdom. This is all about ownership. This is my family. It's not perfect, but it's mine. And whatever we're going through, I'm part of it. Just like in my physical family. For better or worse, we're part of it. You see, if your attitude is not right, you may be able to, you know, and if, if you're keeping things at arm's length, if, if you're not connected, you know, to the, to, the, to the body, you know, to the head, you know, if you're not connected to the struggles, you might be able to keep the church at arm's length and, you know, you kind of control your involvement and that relationship with it. But in so doing that, you're also keeping God at arm's length. The rewards, the blessings, the joys of building the kingdom because he says, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that has never changed. It has always been the church that Christ is moving primarily in this world today. And we hold that at arm's length. We hold Christ at arm's length as well. And it's so often the small things, you know, serving on a committee, you know, and doing it for Christ, not for men. I'm not, and I'm not saying this. I'm, I, there's no reason that I've chosen to, to do this message today. I mean, um, you know, we still need to pray about what, if God wants us on the committee, and, and sometimes the answer is no, he doesn't want us, and he might want because he wants to free us up to be able to do something else. But the idea is ownership. The idea is, is involvement. You know, and, and, and if we're on a committee, you know, and we miss a meeting, you know, do we want to find out what took place? You know, and see how we can help and we can come alongside? Again, this is all about attitude. Or maybe saying no to the things of the world that choose to conflict with church and our time meeting together. Luke 24, 26, it says this. Christ is speaking here. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We say, whoa. Is Christ saying that we're supposed to hate our parents and our son? No, he's not. He's trying to contrast here. My commitment, my love for Christ and service and his kingdom is supposed to be so strong that the other relationships in my life, it's... It's a contrast of love and hate. I mean, it is so much even farther. It's supposed to be my number one priority. I mean, that's what Christ is saying. Nothing is supposed to come between that relationship. Even the closest relationships, they're not supposed to come before Christ. And so often, we aren't necessarily forsaking all for Christ. We're trying to accommodate everything in our life. Christ never asked us to accommodate everything in our life. He said to seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things. Make that the priority, his life. So let's be honest. If Christ loves the church, if if Christ loves this church, and the church is going to be the means for God to penetrate into the world around us, you know, the gates of hell will not overcome it, we need, to, we need to remember that if, if, if this is the means that, Satan, that God is going to oppose Satan, what do you think Satan's attitude towards the church is going to be? Don't you think the church is going to try to divide? He's going to try to discourage us? He's going to try to harm us? Satan is always going to be attacking the church. He's always going to be trying to weaken it. And we need to be aware of Satan's efforts in our own lives to, to weaken our foundation, to weaken our love, to weaken our connection to the church and constantly do that evaluation and, and keep Christ the priority. Well, I want to I end this message on the positive. Um, this past year, we have so many examples of people within our church family who have sought first the kingdom of God, that have put the kingdom of God before other things, and I am not going to mention names as I mention these situations because I know when mentioning names, I'm going to forget some. And I, and I don't want to do that. I'm also forgetting numerous circumstances. But as I was finishing up this message, I was trying to think of examples that we have of this. Uh, let, let me talk about 
you know, some examples that we have of seeking first the kingdom of God. Th- this past year, the, the whole extravagant love campaign, uh, again, that challenge to do things over and above, not just good enough, but, you know, to raise that standard because it was, it was for Christ, you know, not just to get it done. And, 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 and the giving was overboard in the extravagant love campaign. And then when the project started, you think about those endless hours. You know, people came in during the week, you know, working all day and then coming in the evenings over and over and over and above to do these ministries, the playground set. I mean, you know, I, I've said this so many times. Folks, that's ridiculous out there. It is ridiculously beautiful. And I, I mean, church was about to start and we looked out there and there was still a class out there, you know, on, on the playground set. I mean, the kids love it, and this is the ministries. It's one of the, the heartbeats of our ministry here is our children's ministry. And we did over and above, you know, the, the projector, the bathrooms. I mean, all just to bring those things all together. Recently, the, the remodeling at the back of the fellowship hall. I mean, there have been so many people here. When church, you know, quote, unquote, church isn't happening, that people are here big and small, and the most of them weren't going to be using that classroom or necessarily using the storage areas. It wasn't for them. It wasn't to make their life, their ministry easier. It was for the church. Think of the beginning of the year uh, in this fall when we started the new kids clubs and, and such a zeal that we saw for the kids and the, the, you know, the, the kickoff and the trunk or treat, you know, and, and, and just the depth that the ministry has been taken for our children. And we were, we were picking up kids with, uh, with the church van, and it was getting more and more difficult. And uh, when Mike put out that we were looking for individual families to step up and to maybe pick up one or two of the kids so that we'd have four or five vehicles going instead of just one, uh, you know, I was amazed that within a week, all of those needs were met. You know, not, not because those who were working in the kids club, it would be easier for them to go get the kids. It added a whole nother layer on for them, you know, to be leaving, you know, half hour earlier. But they stepped up. You know, I know many of you, uh, when, when you miss church here, you know, for whatever reason, whether you're on vacation or you're sick or whatever, you get bulletins sent to you, you know, to help keep you in the loop. This this, this is an act of love, you know, just to, to kind of keep the body together. The prayer meeting that, that uh, you know, took off last year, you know, every, every Wednesday we have 8 to 14 people. They're meeting together. They're praying, praying for the ministries, praying for the family, praying for us. The deacon ministry that started last year, you know, we have our, each deacon has their own family that they're praying for, they're reaching out to, they're trying to connect with. Meals being brought in when people are sick. Just help them and, you know, through a, you know, over a, a, a rough patch. Last week, and this, is, this one just amazed me. Last week, and you didn't know this, but the worship team, while I was preaching, the Holy Spirit was laying on their heart a song to do the closing with. They had picked a closing hymn, but they don't necessarily know what I'm going to be preaching about specifically but the Holy Spirit had laid on their heart. 
And, you know, if they were just here doing their job, they could have just got up and they could have sang the song. We'd have been fine and we would have moved on with our lives. But five minutes before the, the message was over, they are back there in the back pulling new music because God has laid a truth and a message on their heart to close. And the close of the service last week in that song, it so went with the word of God and it was, it was so uplifting and, and it sent us out. Just going over and above, not just to get by and to do our duty. I mean, these are just, and these just scratch the surface of our everyday life within our colonial family here. Over and over examples, large and small of people. And folks, God deserves our best. He doesn't deserve our leftovers. And it all begins within our heart, within an attitude. If our attitude isn't there, then nothing's going to follow. You know, how do we see Christ's church? I mean, where does church play in part of our faith? You know, how do we see the church playing in, 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 in building the kingdom? Now, I've shared this rhyme with you before, and I'm going to just leave it with you. We're going to put it up on the board here. And I'm going to let it sink in for just a moment here. But what kind of church would my church be if everyone in the church were exactly like me? What kind of church would my church be if everyone in the church were exactly like me? Let's pray. Father God, I mean, I, I tell you just to, to speak about your church, your bride, your body. I, I very much feel like I am standing on holy ground. This, we, we are what you gave your life for. You shed your blood individually for each of us to bring us together, to strengthen one another, to challenge one another through the ups and downs. And God, I so thank you for that. I thank you very specifically for our church family. I thank you for you know, just being with us, Lord. You know, sometimes, you know, we're out here in the country and I know everybody wants to grow and want people to come and it's, you know, sometimes it's such a struggle. But God, more importantly, you know, is our heart and our attitudes together. Father, we let you take care of the rest. I pray that you will help us to celebrate who we are in you and who we are together to be able to see the work that you are doing very clearly around us and in us. And Father, that would just overflow into worship to you. And I truly would just praise your name for being part of your family. Thank you, God, and I ask you to continue to lead us, continue to guide us, strengthen us for the glory of your kingdom and your kingdom alone. In thy name we pray.